Good to be with you this morning. I've got a uh, public service announcement. Um, today, all of our classes will be meeting here in the auditorium. We've got some great classes going on this quarter. But for today, we're all going to meet together in the auditorium because we're going to have the chance to hear a report, an update, some encouraging words from Eric and Beulah on their recent trip to India. And looking forward to that. So after your refreshments in the Family Life Center, come right back in here and uh, we'll get to, to hear that report. I, uh, I hope you've had a great week this week. I walked by that board in the lobby this morning when I came in and saw all those names that we've been praying about and I am encouraged to what God has been doing here in this family this week. I hope you are too. You know, one of the perks that I enjoy from preaching here is that a couple times a year, the staff is invited to the Tuesday morning ladies' luncheon. And let me tell you, if you're going to eat lunch with a group of cooks, I highly recommend that group of cooks. Um, life is short. Life is uncertain. I always start with Linda Miltner's blueberry pie. Uh, last Christmas, uh, the staff was invited to, to share lunch with the ladies' class, and during that lunch, several women came up and asked me, would you preach some sermons on the Holy Spirit? My response to them, if I remember correctly, was, no time soon. We were kind of in the middle of a, a Christmas series, and I knew that I wanted to start the year with the series that we just came out of, and I kind of hoped that by the time February and March rolled around, maybe they would have forgotten about that request. <laughs> Tell you the truth, I can't remember exactly who it was that asked me, but I haven't forgotten about that request. And I think maybe this is the perfect time to spend some time and talk about the Holy Spirit. And to get us thinking in that direction, I want to remind you of something that all of us who live on the west coast of Florida are very familiar with, and that is hurricanes. We talk about them. We watch for them, we track them, we worry about them, we prepare for them, or we don't. But we all know the drill, right, when it comes to hurricanes. Last September, when Hurricane Ian was trying to decide where to land, Martha and I did the same thing that all of you did. We were making preparations as best we could. We brought everything in from inside, you know, kind of battened down the hatches, made sure we had batteries and all the flashlights, stocked up on water, tried to stock up on ice, filled up the bathtub with water, ate all the ice cream. <laughs> I was in charge of that myself. And then, you, you, know, you know, the route, you know, you go in and then you just wait. We felt like we were as prepared as we were going to be, and then we just waited for the storm to hit or for the power to go out. Now, we always think that we're not going to be the house that loses power, but of course, we always do. So we're sitting in the house, you know, sitting in the den, and the lights blink off. Oh, no. And then they come back on. Yes. <laughs> then they go back off. No. And then they come back on. And then finally they go off, and we're kind of sitting there waiting, waiting. Oh, nuts. It's not coming back on. So what do we do now? No, but we go to bed, right? <laughs> it's 7 o'clock, but we're going to bed. Because it's dark and, you know, we don't have any power. And that first day without power is not too bad. Kind of like camping almost. 
Second day, the storm has passed and we're outside. We're cleaning everything up and kind of putting everything back together. By the third day, I need a shower. <laughs> now, we're on a well, so the only water that we have is what we've saved in the bathtub. So I'm, you know, I'm pouring cold water over myself trying to take a shower. Day four, we're out driving around looking for Tico trucks. <laughs> Martha's like, hey, they have power on this street. That's not fair. This whole street has power. Why don't we have power? You know, you get kind of angry about that. We come back home. Our next door neighbor works for Tico. And his wife came out and said, hey, they're in our area. We should have power in the next hour. Yes. So we go back into the house and we just sit down and wait. (laughs) We wait for about an hour. And then the lights blink on. Yes. And they go back off. No. But we know it's coming. And then they blink off again, or blink on again, and they blink right back off. And then finally, they come on, and they stay on, and we start doing a happy dance there in the kitchen. I'm running around, I'm turning all the lights in the house on. You know, I, I, I turn the stove on. I'm not even cooking anything, but I'm turning the stove on. I'm, I'm putting the air conditioner down as low as it'll go. And we are so excited that we have power again. And don't look at me that way because you know you all have done that, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Now, here's why I tell you my version of the story that we all have lived through. When we lost power, we knew it. We all experienced it. We all felt it. Nobody had to come and say, hey, you guys just lost power. Uh, yeah, we know it. We've lost power. Our our lives changed. We weren't able to do the things that we'd been doing because we didn't have power in our house. With that in mind, as we begin this series on the Holy Spirit, let me ask you a question. If for some reason the power of the Holy Spirit was suddenly turned off in your life, would you notice If for some reason the power of the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from this church, would anyone notice? Or would it be pretty much business as usual? The late theologian A.W. Tozer said this, If the power of the Holy Spirit was turned off in the church today, 90% of what we do would still go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the early church, 90% of what they did would stop. And everybody would know. Now, as you read through the New Testament, what you see is a church that is utterly dependent on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood that they could not be who God had called them to be. And they could not accomplish the mission that God called them to accomplish without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This morning, what I really want to do is just more or less introduce the Spirit. And I'll go ahead and say this once at the beginning of this short series. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I am very much a work in progress. As far as my understanding of and my appreciation of, my dependence on the Spirit, uh, i got a long way to grow, Okay. I feel like I'm more in step with the Spirit than I was a few years ago, but uh, I realize that I'm a work in progress. In the New Testament, 
there are a couple words, Greek words, that are used for the Holy Spirit. One of them is the word pneuma. And pneuma literally means wind or breath of air. Jesus uses that image to help us understand the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. Uh, he's talking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus, a religious leader. Uh, John chapter 3, uh, verse 8. Jesus is trying to explain to this religious leader how God works. And he says this, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples in an upper room, it came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Wind is one of the very few things that I can think of that is absolutely non-visible, but totally tangible. Now, we don't see wind. We can't take hold of wind. But we absolutely feel it, right? And we can see the effects of wind. We can see what wind does. You know, ask those people in Lee County last September. You can't see the Spirit. You can't take hold of the Spirit. We can absolutely feel and experience the Holy Spirit. And we can absolutely see what the Spirit does in this world and in our lives. One Christian writer likened the, the church to a beautiful sailboat. So lots and lots of money can be spent on a spectacular sailboat. You can study and memorize the handbook on sailing. You can attend conferences on, on sailing. You can chart a course for your sailboat, what's going to be the safest route. You can come up with a five-year plan for your sailboat. You can model it after other sailboats that have been very uh, successful. But we all know that regardless of how much time, how much effort you put into building a sailboat, what makes a sailboat sail is wind, right? Without wind, a sailboat doesn't go anywhere. You can spend a lot of uh, money, you can spend a, a lot of energy on, uh, on your sailboat. But if you don't have wind, a sailboat's not going to do the very thing that it was designed to do. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You might want to tell that to your five-year plan. You might want to tell that to your carefully charted course. You might want to tell that to your carefully designed future. The wind blows wherever it pleases. The sailboat doesn't move the wind. The wind moves the sailboat. And the power and the strength is in the wind. What the sails do, it receives the wind. It puts itself in a position to take advantage of the wind. Now, it's not a, a perfect analogy of the Spirit, but I hope you see my point. We've got to be in the right place spiritually, emotionally, sometimes physically, to take advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our marriages, in our families, in our temperaments, in our personalities, in our lives. Now, one place where that sailboat analogy kind of falls apart is the reality that the Holy Spirit is not just a force, not just an energy, not just the essence of God. The Holy Spirit is a divine being, Amen. is a part of the Trinity. 
When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a personality. We're talking about a divine being. And I don't know what your background has been as far as your knowledge of or study of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you grew up. I suspect that we're probably pretty much all over the board on that. I'll tell you how I grew up and my background as far as knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the church that I grew up in, the Holy Spirit was pretty much like Opie's mom. You know Opie on the Andy Griffith show? Little boy who's raised by a single dad, Sheriff Taylor. Nobody ever talks about his mom. Ever. His mom is never mentioned. Who was she? Where'd she go? What happened to Opie's mom? We never know. When I grew up, the church I attended, we never talked about the Holy Spirit. Now, we read about the Holy Spirit all the time because he's mentioned all through Scripture. But we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit? What happened? Where did the Holy Spirit go? Well, he didn't go anywhere. Jesus is going to introduce the Holy Spirit to his disciples uh, this way. He's in the upper room shortly before his death. Jesus knows what's ahead for these men. He knows that they're going to need some reassurance, that they're not going to be alone even though he's leaving. He's not going to leave them alone. And he tells them this in John chapter 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Usually when we talk about that verse, we focus on the counselor and the Spirit of truth. Rightfully so, by the way. But I want you to pay attention to that word, another. Jesus says, I will give you another counselor. Again, there's a couple Greek words that Jesus could have used there. There's a Greek word for another that means kind of like, sort of like, somewhat resembling. Jesus doesn't use that word. Instead, he chooses the word that means literally another of exactly the same kind. Jesus says, I'm going to send, the Father is going to send another of exactly the same kind counselor. So he doesn't promise these guys a counselor who is a lesser version of himself. What he promises is that God will send another of exactly the same kind, a counselor who is a full member of the Trinity. In fact, during the same evening, Jesus will tell these same men, you know, it's really better for you if I leave. Because if I leave, then the counselor will come. And that's actually going to be better for you. He will send you another counselor. It's a beautiful image. Just a couple of verses earlier here in John, uh, Jesus tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says, me and the Father, we're, we're one. You know, we're one. And then here he tells the rest of the men, if you know me, then you know the counselor. Because he's just like me. I've been your counselor. But take heart. The Father is sending you another counselor, just like me. 
It says, don't ever be guilty of, of shortchanging uh, the Holy Spirit when you consider the Spirit's place in the Godhead. Or when you consider the Spirit's place in your life. And don't be guilty of defining the Holy Spirit as a thing or an it. You know, for most people, when, when they think about the Holy Spirit, they think of a what, not a who. And what that means, consequently, is we usually relate to the Holy Spirit as a force, not a friend. And I think we're never going to appreciate and understand the Spirit and the work of the Spirit's life, work in our lives until we start relating to Him as a person, a personality. Usually when we talk about the Spirit, we talk about what the Holy Spirit does for us, does through us, does with us. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks for sure. But this morning, I want to talk just quickly about some of the ways that we actually relate to the Holy Spirit. Because I think if we look at these things, that it'll maybe help us relate a little bit better to a who than to a what. And I'll give you two quick examples. There's more, but we've got time for two. And the first is this. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Think about it. It's a pretty difficult thing to lie to just a power or a force. But you can lie to a person, right? You can lie to a personality pretty easily. Most of you know where I'm headed here, Acts chapter 5. We know the story pretty well. The church is brand new. Some of the Christians are selling some of their possessions and they're bringing the proceeds of those sales to the feet of the apostles and they are gaining some recognition for that. People are showing their appreciation for what people are doing in their generous hearts. And there's a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira and they see what other people are, the, the kind of uh, pats on the back that they're receiving and they decide, well, we kind of want to be somebody too. So they sell some property and they bring some of the proceeds to the apostles, but they tell the apostles, this is it, this is all that we received for the sale of this land, but it wasn't. And Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, speaking to Ananias, he spoke to him separately, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Kind of interesting here. In this very short narrative, Peter uses the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. I think Peter is revealing the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. But he also is revealing the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Peter's using relationship language when he tells Ananias, you lied, and you lied to the Holy Spirit. And that statement in that context should be incredibly sobering to us. It was sobering to Ananias because he ended up being struck dead because of it. But it ought to be very sobering to us as well because I don't think Ananias and Sapphira set out with the goal to lie to the Holy Spirit. I don't think they got together and said, hey, Let's lie to the Holy Spirit. What they set out to do was, let's appear a little more spiritual than we really are. We know how hard Jesus came down on hypocrites, right? It appears the Holy Spirit's not a big fan either. And I think we still lie to the Holy Spirit when we try to deceive other people with our spirituality. So you come to church. 
and you sing worship songs. And then you go home and you speak in anger and you curse at your family. You're not just offending your family, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Take communion. You celebrate God's love and God's mercy. But you're not willing to show any grace to someone who you feel doesn't deserve it. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You say you're going to pray for someone, but you have no intention to pray for that person. You want people to think that you're generous, that you, you sacrifice, but you're not really sacrificing much of anything. You act like you're a thoughtful and loving husband, but then you treat your wife with indifference. You disrespect her. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You know, Ananias and Sapphira told Peter, we are surrendering all. We are surrendering all. But they weren't, were they? I think probably all of us have grown up singing the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. We all know that song, right? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. We're not just telling a lie, we're singing a lie. Because all of us have some parts of our lives that we have no intention of surrendering to Jesus. Peter tells Ananias and Sapphira, you're lying to someone. And the someone who you are lying to is the Holy Spirit. Here's a second way that we can relate to the Holy Spirit as a, as a who rather than a what. And that's the fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I like the way the New Living Translation uh, words that same passage. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's the one who has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Paul tells us that we can bring sadness we can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way we live our lives. Those sound like personal emotions, don't they? No, you can't cause a thing to grieve. You can't cause a, a thing to feel sorrow or sadness. Have you ever noticed that you can't offend Siri with any question you ask? <laughs> she never minds. She never gets mad. She never gets upset. I tried this past week, actually. I did. I'm preparing for this sermon. And I said, Siri, why can't you be more like Alexa? You know what she told me? I don't understand your question. Here are some, here are some web offerings. She didn't get mad. She didn't get offended. She wasn't hurt. She wasn't grieved. Now, husbands, you go home this afternoon and ask your wife, why can't you be more like my old girlfriend? I guarantee your wife will be grieved. And you will bring her sorrow. And then she will bring you pain. Do not recommend that. But the Holy Spirit is spoken as someone who has emotions has feelings. And apparently we can affect those feelings by the way we live our lives. 
I'll tell you this. My greatest fear as a husband is not that I make my wife mad. Now, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and she's incredibly patient. But my greatest fear isn't that I make my wife mad. I actually make her mad pretty often. And every now and then she makes me mad. My greatest fear, however, is that I will disappoint my wife. Is that I will grieve my wife. Is that I will do something that will cause her sorrow. And why that's a fear of mine is because we've got a relationship. And I love my wife. But I also know how much she loves me. Now, if I didn't love her and she didn't love me, it wouldn't really bother me if I offended her, if I grieved her. But we've got 40 years of a relationship together. And I don't want to do anything to cause her grief. Now, we all know that it's the people that we love the most who can, who can cause us the most grief and the most sorrow. So when we read here that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, can be saddened by our actions, it speaks to just how much we are known how much we are loved, how much we are valued by the Holy Spirit speaks to the relationship that we have. Paul doesn't say that we anger the Holy Spirit. He says we bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to break some rules. It's another thing to break a heart. People tell you, you Christians, you're all about keeping the rules, right? There's a bunch of rules you got to keep. No, it's not at all. It's all about a relationship. A relationship with a God who loves us. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Let me wrap this thing up right where we started. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. You might be reading from a version that says advocate. Some versions say comforter. Some of the older versions say helper. That's what Jesus promised that God would send. A counselor, a comforter, an advocate, a helper. And he promised that he would be just like me. Just like Jesus. Now, in the next couple weeks... We're going to talk about the power of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I want to be sure that we know who we're talking about. That we're not just talking about some force, some essence of God. We are talking about a person, a divine being. An equal member of the Trinity. And I hope you'll be back in the next couple of weeks as we together try to learn some things uh, about the Holy Spirit. I want to wrap up this lesson with a prayer. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for the gift of your son, Jesus. We're thankful for that sacrifice, the blood of Christ that brings us salvation. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our our advocate, our helper. May we live our lives in such a way that does not bring sorrow to the Spirit, but brings glory and honor to your name. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.